Hey, church, we are continuing our I Am series. We're coming towards the end of it. And I just hope it's been really beneficial for you to discover your identity in Christ and to learn some new things about Jesus, maybe some surprising things. And today, we're going to learn a little bit more. Uh, we're going to be surprised a little bit more, I should say, uh, because today's topic is I am strange. And I know you guys are saying you are. Uh, <laughs> I am a little bit. Uh, but Jesus is, is strange. He's not actually a very normal, whatever normal is, person. Well, normal is often like go with the flow. It's, it's um, hey, everyone's wearing blue, so you wear blue. Um, people dress like this, so you dress like this. People talk like this, well, you talk like that. And that's, that's often deemed as what's normal. And when you deviate from that norm, you're abnormal, right? And, and you're strange. And so just a basic definition for strange is unusual or surprising in a way that is unsettling or hard to understand. Okay, so that's the definition we're gonna use when we talk about strange. It's like, huh, that was surprising. That's unusual. And that's a bit unsettling. That stirs up the waters in my heart or in my mind or that puts me on edge a little bit. It's hard to understand. Like, and, and you know, Sermons should be, actually, all sermons should be kind of like that. They should be stirring. They should put us on edge a bit. They should, they should rock the boat a little bit. They should leave you with um, some conviction or maybe even a little conflict in your heart. Like, oh, what, what needs to change here? What needs to happen? What, what do I need to do here? And so this, this sermon is definitely going to do that for us as I have studied it. It's done that for me. And I hope it does that for you because Jesus is, is strange. And so what I want to do is, is, you guys, I want you to start off in your R3 groups by brainstorming as many strange statements of Jesus as you can or strange things about Jesus, right? So strange statements, strange things. And again, we'll give you a minute on the screen, uh, but feel free to pause and take as much time as you want. Okay, I hope that was really fun for you. Hope you guys had a good time talking about our awesome Jesus and getting to know him a little bit better. Here's, here's, a, here's a few of them. So I'm going to read some of these statements to you that Jesus makes. Uh, 
you know, and these don't include like the strange statements he makes when he says like, I'm the resurrection or I'm the bread of life or I am before Abraham was, you know, things like that, that are, that are still strange. These are like even, even more strange. I feel like those that I just mentioned were like, yeah, we've, we've become used to that. Yeah. Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, But these ones are a little bit more like in your face. So Matthew five in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in verses 29 to 30, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do with it? Cut it off. Don't just cut it off. Throw it away. Like as far away from you as you, as you can so you don't try to put it back on and try to use it. I guess that it's just a strange statement. Uh, a strange way. I mean, it's hyperbole, right? Is Jesus really saying, like, there's always, I'm not going to preach each of these statements. Um, uh, but uh, I just want to show you the the strangeness, the in-your-faceness, the unusual, the unsettledness that that leaves you with. If he says that to you, cut it off, you're like, oh, that that's a bit unsettling. It's hard for me to understand this. Uh, also, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not resist the one who is evil. This is just 10 verses later. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, well, give him the other cheek. Turn to him the other also. Guys, yeah, that's weird. It's become used, we've become used to hearing that, but it's just kind of weird. It's like, hey, if someone comes up and slaps you, let them slap you on the other side of your face. Like, why? Like, what? That, like... How many of us would actually do that? Right? It's unsettling. It's hard to understand. So we're going to take a moment. And for the next minute, I want you to try slapping each other. I'm just kidding. Um, It'd be hard for us to do. So uh, also in the Sermon on the Mount. Wow, a lot of these in the Sermon on the Mount, eh? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat. Don't be anxious about what you will drink. Don't be anxious about your body, about what you will wear. Isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than clothes? And you're like, okay. I mean, that one's, it's a little strange because those are the things we're concerned about. But I see where, I see where he's getting there. Because it's, it's like that should unsettle us. Okay, you're, you're probably thinking, okay, this isn't that strange. Just hold on. Matthew 15. <clears throat> We talked about this. I preached this way back at the beginning of this series. Um, He says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And he's talking to a Samaritan, or sorry, a a Canaanite woman there. Um, So very strange statement, uh, in-your-face type statement. Matthew 20, whoever is first among you must become your slave. What? Like, what does that mean? Guys, in, in, the, in the passage, it doesn't even make sense. You're like, Jesus, why are you saying that now? Whoever is first among you must become your slave. Like it's, it's hard to understand. It's unsettling, especially with like slavery and, and history of slavery. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa what does that mean? Uh, Matthew 21, he says, the tax collectors, so those who cheat their very own people, betrayed their own people, 
and cheat and steal and rob from them. The tax collectors uh, and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, you religious leaders. That's a strange thing. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go in before the religious leaders? Like, why? What's he talking about there? Those are often the people that are ostracized, that are outcasts, that are like, oh, like, we're not like them. We don't have their life. And he's like, no. They have the opportunity to go in the kingdom of God before you do. For uh, Matthew 27, he says, You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What in the world does that mean? What a strange statement, right? Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. It's a pretty unsettling, strange, unusual, harsh, surprising, difficult to understand statement. Because if you don't do that, you can't even be my disciple. Luke 17. <laughs> Jesus is talking about like gathering people. Uh, and the disciples say, where, Lord? And he says, where the corpse is, where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. What? Jesus? Like what? What what are you talking about? Dead bodies and vultures and uh, that that vultures can actually be translated as eagles. It's a word for eagles in Greek. So eagles, right? Who, Who cares? Vultures, eagles, like dead body, corpse. Like what are you talking about? And then here's the last one. And this one out of John 6, when he said it, the Bible says after that, that a bunch of his disciples left. A bunch of those following Jesus said, that's too weird for us. It's too strange for us. It's too difficult for us. We cannot understand that. And they just left. They stopped following him. Now, not the 12. We're talking about other disciples who are following Jesus. They just left. So here it is, John 6. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Like at this point, everyone's getting kind of squeamish. Like is Jesus like a vampire? What's happening? And he keeps on going. For my flesh, my flesh, he says, is true food. And my blood is true drink. And if we didn't get it yet, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And people bounced after that. They're just like, we've had it. And we can't take this anymore. We're done. And guys, that's just some of the statements. I didn't list all of them. That's just some of them. And I didn't even include the things that you probably brainstormed 
that Jesus has done. Cursing the fig tree, we talked about that. Healing a blind man with spit. Uh, turning the tables upside down in the temple. Touching lepers. Right? Those are all against, against the norm of the day. How about the transfiguration? Jesus completely transfigures his being on top of the mountain and he's talking to Moses, you know, and, and Elijah. And it's like, whoa, what, what's, what's happening here? Uh, how about walking on water? Like, why? Why did Jesus do that? Walking on water. He's like, hey guys, like, I right, look what I can do, right? Just like, I, I don't know. I mean, how many things are recorded that we didn't see? Like, are the disciples just sitting in the upper room one day and, and Jesus just like, um, you know, like floats by. He's like, hey guys, what's up? Like, I, I don't know. Like Jesus, he's, he's doing these things and they all have, have purposes. Um, or how about when he tells the disciples to, to toss their net on the other side of the boat to catch fish and Jesus makes like hundreds of fish jump into the net, right? Where they can't even pull it in or the nets are breaking. And how about willingly submitting himself to being mocked, flogged, spat on, whipped, lashed, punched in the face, stripped naked, nails put in his hands and his feet, crucified as a criminal, all for you. I don't know if it gets stranger than that. And we believe that that act 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, does something for us today. Talk about strange. And so this is our Jesus. And so in this passage, we're going to see Jesus in this light. He's a little strange. Check out verse 27. The disciples have gone in to get food. Jesus is there. He's been talking to this Samaritan woman at the well. Just him and her. This, and and he's, he's been sharing... He's been sharing things with her about living water and uh, eternal life. And it says in verse 27, just then the disciples came back and they marveled. They were shocked. They were amazed that he was talking with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. But no one said, hey, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because they're like, he's he's just he's doing one of his weird things. And I, I want you to see here. That Jesus isn't just strange to us because we're modern people living in this modern world, living in a different culture even than what Jesus was in, in the Palestinian culture, in the Jewish culture. So it's not cultural differences. It's not um, uh, chronological differences, right? It's even to the disciples, the people who said, we are going to follow you, we're going to give up everything, we're going to leave everything behind and follow you, even to those people, they're like, we have no idea what he's going to do. Like, they're marveling. 
They're shocked, they're amazed that he's doing something. And so even to his contemporaries in the same culture, to those who are following him, he's strange. He's a thing to be marveled at. And the first strange thing in this passage he does is talk with this woman, a Samaritan woman. And the disciples didn't even hear what he was saying to her, and they think he's strange. <laughs> I wonder if they had heard what he was saying to her about living water and eternal life and all that, if they, what they would have thought. And then, uh, apparently, she, Jesus has told her everything she's, she's ever done, so she's wondering, can this be the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is he the anointed one, the one to come and save us and rescue us? And, and so the disciples, meanwhile, in verse 31... They're urging him to eat. I, I think it's kind of funny because, yeah, they want to get food, so everyone's hungry. Um, but it's almost like, you know how, how uh, maybe you have kids like this or um, your friends or significant other or whatever. Um, when people get hungry, they get a little wonky sometimes. Right? And it's like, oh, hey, Rabbi, yeah, it doesn't look like you're feeling well. You're a little off your game. Why don't you, why don't you eat something? So they're like urging him, hey, uh, maybe, maybe you'll feel better after you eat something, Jesus. And, and, uh, and so they're, they're doing that. And then he's about to say something else strange. Now, here's the thing, guys. In the gospel of John, it's all been about strange Jesus. The gospel of John is, is weird Jesus. Like it's, uh, which I often think it's funny because people, when someone comes to the Lord and says, I want to follow Jesus, a lot of people think, oh, the best place for someone to start reading the Bible is the Gospel of John. Let's introduce them to our strange Uncle Jesus, right? And and it's like, uh, and I'm fine with that. Like the first book Missy ever read in the scriptures was the Gospel of John. And uh, she's still with us. So she's she's been following Jesus. Um, so like Gospel of John's great, but, um, I, I think, I just think it's funny because if you look at the Gospel of John, this is how it talks about Jesus beginning verse. We're only four chapters in first chapter. It talks about Jesus being the word made flesh. What, what does that mean? It's so strange. Like, what are we talking about here? And then John the Baptist, this other weird dude we we tend to think john the baptist is this jesus freak out in the wilderness he's he's just so weird but jesus is his cousin i mean he's he's a very similar to john the baptist um and john the baptist says hey look the lamb of the world the lamb of god is coming sorry the lamb of god is coming to take away the sins of the world and you're like lamb of god so if there's someone who's brand new to the faith they're like what does that mean the lamb of god they have no understanding of the rest of the well, of any of this. So when you say Lamb of God, they're like, why would he call Jesus a lamb? Why would he call him God? Why does he call him word made flesh? Okay, and then the first, the first disciple is Jesus, Jesus calls, and one of them is Simon. So Jesus says to him, you are Simon, son of John. Now I'm going to call you Cephas. It's like, what? Like, what? Why? It's like him saying to me, you are Mike, son of Robert. Now you'll be called Xavier. My why? Why did you just change my name? Why did you change Peter's name? And now 
we have the benefit of of being in the church and seeing how the story plays out. But you think Peter was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm down with that. Do you think he was like, what? Oh, my name's my name's Peter. Everyone calls me Peter. Like some people call me Pete. You can call me Pete. I mean, even Petey. But why would you completely change my name to, to Cephas? Um, sorry, Simon. You, people call me Simon. Why would you change it to Peter? So it's so... It's so strange, right? It's, it's just a strange thing. And then, and then they even recognize Jesus being strange because they go, Philip goes to tell Nathaniel about Jesus and, and say he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So even Jesus' hometown is strange. And so he has that going for him. And then the first miracle in the Gospel of John that's recorded of Jesus is Jesus turning water to wine at a party. It's just strange. Like, why? We ran out. Okay. Well, let's make some good wine. Like, it, it's just, if you don't have any context or background to who Jesus is and why water and wine matter, why a wedding feast matters, what this has to do with anything, you're like, weird. This is weird. And then Jesus turns over the tables in the temple. Why? Weird. What a jerk, right? Like, why would he do that? That's people's livelihood. Why would he, why would he do that? It just seems strange. And then he goes and tells a Pharisee, Nicodemus, in chapter 3, because we're only in chapter 3, he says, hey, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you got to be born a second time. Nicodemus is like, what? I got to crawl back in my mom's womb? Uh, and Jesus is like, you got to be born of water and the spirit. It's just weird, guys. It's strange. It makes no, it makes no sense without a whole bunch of context, right? We're, we're reading this. We're like, what's going on? And the cool thing about the Gospel of John or, or the, the hard thing, too, when we start people here, too, is it's not chronological. It's theological, and so the Gospel of John isn't telling a story like Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about the, the life and ministry of Jesus. It's interpreting theologically the life and ministry of Jesus. So where, <clears throat> where Jesus cleanses the temple in chapter 2, it doesn't happen there chronologically. That actually happens at the end of Jesus' ministry, which is where Matthew, Mark, and Luke place it. So, so you see here, um, John is re- weaving this theological tapestry. So... And it's just, there's just strange things. Um, and then now we get to chapter four where another strange thing happens. So Nicodemus, born again, woman at the well, living water, disciples, what? Food? And they say, and, and Jesus says to them after they say Rabbi 8 in verse 32, he says, I have food. I have food to eat that you don't know about. They're like, well, Jesus, you had snacks from us? Like... What do you mean you have food that we don't know about? You've been holding out on us, Jesus? We went to go buy food, but you had food? They're like, who gave him food? In verse 33, has someone brought him something to eat? I thought we were out of food, guys. Like, Jesus, what, what do you mean you have food that, that we don't know about? It's such a weird statement. You see Jesus like, hey, I've got some food that you don't know about. I've been hiding it. Um, and they're like, did someone bring him, did someone bring him something? And Jesus says, no, no one brought me 
anything. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My sustenance, what sustains me, what keeps me going forward, what I live and breathe off of is doing the will of the Father, is hearing what he says and obeying it. That's how I live. It's an allusion back to Matthew chapter 4 and the temptation where he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, my will is to do, or my food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his mission, his work, his purposes. Such an enigmatic, amazingly beautiful statement that is unsettling because what is your food? Can you say that? I don't live on bread alone, but I live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't, I don't do what I want to do. I listen to the Father and I do only what he tells me to do. I live and breathe and sustain my very being off of doing the Father's will, off of living on mission, off of making disciples, off of doing his work, off of saying, God, where are you working and joining that? That is the only way I live. How strange is that to the world? It's incredibly strange. How strange is that to the church these days? Maybe just as strange because we're caught up in these traditions of men. And we replaced the commandments of God for those traditions. Then Jesus saying, I don't need that food. I'm rejuvenated because I just had this amazing gospel conversation with this woman who believed and is now going to tell everybody she knows about me. And life is happening. And that's all I need. That's all I need. And then Jesus gives this little sermonette in the last few verses. And he has two points. One is that the sower has been working. So the one who spreads seed has been working. And now it's time for reaping, for bringing in the harvest. And then two, the sower and the reaper are united. And they're united in rejoicing and in sharing their reward. And normally this isn't the case, okay? So it's like, it's like pretend you're opening a pickle jar, Truex pickle jar. And so you got these true pickles trying to open them and you can't. And then someone comes along and opens it. And you're like, oh, why loosen it for you? That's, that's typically the mentality, right? It's like, oh, well, I, I sowed, you reaped. Um, but you couldn't have reaped without me sowing. But here you don't see that. Jesus kind of reverses the, ne- the negativity that would happen there if you had a sower and then someone comes along and just, just eats of the fruit and, and harvests the fruit. He says, no, they both rejoice. The sowing has been happening. Now is the time for reaping. And they're both can rejoice and partake 
in the reward. They both can rejoice because disciples are being made. Because the fruit of God's will is happening. We can partake of it. Look at the Samaritan woman who's going to tell her whole town. She's going to go and, and the, the verse after this that we won't deal with, but um, it says many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because the woman's testimony. Like, yeah, so it's happening. Just He's like, look around. We've been sowing. The, he's like, my father and I, we've been sowing into the nations. We've been sowing into the house of Israel. We've been sowing and now's the time for reaping. And we get to celebrate and rejoice in that together. And it's just beautiful little sermonette to say that Jesus ends with saying, others have labored and you've entered that labor. You've entered into it. Like you're a beneficiary of it. And now you get to labor with us. We're co-laborers now. Like live on mission with me. We're together in this. And so what's the point? So Jesus is strange. Why? Who cares? That's cool for Jesus. Well, as we've been talking about throughout this entire series, we're discovering our identity in Christ in order to experience the abundant life. That's what a discovering your identity in Christ does and discovering your destiny. You influence and you live out the abundant life. And so we've been through different things like I am poor, uh, I am warrior, I am forgiver. And all that's to say is, yes, Jesus saying that, but that's our identity in Christ too. So I am poor, I am warrior, I am forgiver. And Jesus saying, I am strange, so that means, well, we should say that too. I am strange. And so as Jesus is strange to his culture, remember, they're even shocked by him. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, uh, the disciples, none of them understand him. He's strange. He says unsettling things. He's surprising in the way he lives his life. They can't understand why he would choose to do those things. And so as Jesus is strange to his own culture and his own contemporaries and his own followers, so we should be too. But how many of us look just like the rest of the world? We don't look strange. We dress like they do. We talk like they do. We watch what they watch. We listen to what they listen to. We go to work like they go to work. Sometimes they're working harder than us. We have the same jobs. We try to get the same possessions. You're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to go to university. You're supposed to get a degree. You're supposed to get a job. You're supposed to start saving for retirement. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids. You're supposed to buy your first house. You're supposed to uh, take your kids and put them into soccer. You're so, like on and on, right? And we look like we look just like them. And I'm not saying don't do any of those things. Some of those things. We look just like them. But we've entered into the labor of God. 
we've entered into Christ's labor, we should look decidedly different from the rest of the world. You should talk about different things. You should watch different things. You should listen to different things. You should speak in a different way. You should, you should um, act in a different way. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you should do it to the glory of God. Even the most mundane things, you eat and drink to the glory of God. You eat in a different way. You drink in a different way. Guys, here's some things people think are strange about me. Things that I do for the kingdom that people think are strange. I eat one meal a day. I don't do it to, to look great and to look, because I don't. I don't do it to, 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 um, uh, to just be healthy, but it is. I do it for the king. I do it to live on mission more fully. I do it because I fast every day and there's power in fasting and praying throughout my day. And so I eat one meal a day. And people think that's weird. A lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people think it's strange. And it is. It's different. It's outside of the norm, at least in our culture, of your three square meals a day. Here's another thing. I only use social media for news or to facilitate in-person conversations and connections. I stay off of it from voyeuristically following someone's life. I never, ever look at the news feed. Um, I've never even seen an Instagram feed. Is that strange? I've never even looked at TikTok. Is that strange? I mean, according to our culture, it is, because um, that's where things are happening. Is that a bit extreme, perhaps? Maybe. But... Jesus said, hey, if it caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. A lot of people don't understand that. But it's decidedly different. Like I made a decision to be decidedly different in this way from the rest of the world. I don't listen to the top 40 or the top 100 or even the top 1,000. I don't listen to popular music. Is that strange? Yeah, to a lot of people it is. But I made a decision to be decidedly different and to say, I don't want that in my mind. I can pick and choose my music. So I don't do a streaming music streaming service like Spotify or Apple Music or because I don't want them to choose for me what I listen to. And I know you still have the choice to like skip songs and all that. But I don't want an algorithm choosing that for me. I think I can do that on my own. It's going to take a lot more work, but um, I think I can listen to music uh, that is upbuilding and beneficial. And guys, I listen to mostly secular music, music that wouldn't be deemed Christian um, because it's not in the contemporary Christian music scene. And so it's, it's, it takes time to mine that and to find truth. But wherever truth is, I know it's God's truth. Is that strange? Yeah. Um, is it beneficial? Completely. My kids go to Christian school, a private classical Christian school. And people think that's strange. But 
Do I want my kids to be discipled with the best things possible? Yeah. Do I believe that education is indoctrination and I want to be indoctrinated with the values that I believe in? Yeah. Do I also believe that they're going to be there for eight hours a day without me? And I want them to be set up to love Jesus as much as possible. And that when they come home, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to have, we're going to have meetings. We're going to have people over and ministries, things like that. And so I can't even fully be present with them on a lot of evenings. Yeah. So I get to trust another thing. Is it strange that I pay for school that they could get for free? Well, they can't get that schooling for free. That level of education they can't get for free. Uh, they've, yeah, I won't go into all that, but it's a much higher level of education. And those values are priceless to me. The character building, the mission of God, to build them up to engage the world, those are priceless to me. I couldn't pay enough people to pour that into my daughters. As my, as my first disciples to raise up and release into this world. It's priceless. You cannot match that. Is that strange? Yeah. What's really strange though, because guys, all those decisions are because I want to follow Jesus with my everything. And what's really strange is for the most part, people outside of the church, people who aren't Christians, affirm, understand, and champion those things in my life. But people inside the church who call themselves Christians say I'm just a weirdo, say I'm strange, say that's extreme. Guys, we've missed Jesus in his strangeness. We've missed Jesus and his unconforming ways. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be a living sacrifice. That's strange. Be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable spiritual act of worship. It's the least you can do for the king. That's strange. But I'm all about that. I'm all about being strange for Jesus. And so I want to invite you into that identity in Christ. Stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. Stop fearing man. Jesus says, don't fear, don't fear the person or the enemy who can't take away your soul. Like You're giving it to them. Fear the one who actually has the real power, God. And so, how strange are you? Like, how strange are you according to how Jesus is? Now, you might just be strange, <laughs> but how strange are you because you've devoted yourself to the mission of God, to King Jesus, and you're doing your best to model Jesus for others around you? How strange. It's in that strangeness that you, that strangeness breeds opportunities to share your faith. Because people say, why? 
Why? Why do you do that? Like that's, I've never seen anyone who lives their life like that before. Why do you do that? Why did you say to God, I'll do whatever you want to do, go wherever you want to go. And then you did that. Why? Why do you only eat one meal a day? Like, that's called, yeah, I'll go off on a tangent, but um, like, why? And you get to answer that. You get to share the love of Jesus. You get to share the light of Jesus. And you get to call people alongside you into that life on mission with Jesus. And so let's do that together. Guys, we are a church who's strange now. We don't fit in the mold now. We're totally different from the rest of the churches that I know of right now. But I guarantee you, we're going to breathe life in this city. We're going to breathe life in this nation and in the church and the world. Because our identity and our destiny is in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your strangeness. Thank you for for showing us how to live more on mission with you. And so help us to be uncomfortable, or sorry, to be comfortable with what is uncomfortable, to take risks, to be bold, to, to relish in being strange for you, Jesus, so we can boldly proclaim your goodness and your mercy, your forgiveness, your light, and your love. In your name, Jesus, we've asked these things. Amen.